0: Right, welcome to the neighborhood. We are creating a new kind of community and it starts with baptism. You know what, every time I'm at a baptism service, I don't know about you, but I always kind of recommit my own self, my own life. Um, And if today, if if that was a, a moment for you too, even as you were watching people be baptized, you know, it's a daily thing, right? It's a daily thing. We we have to wake up sometimes and go, "Hey, I'm I'm going to live for God today." So if that's true of you today, even though you haven't been baptized or maybe you've already been baptized, just toot your horn. If you just want to, you got to get your horns out. But just toot your horn, okay? Yeah, me too. Um, I love that you have horns today because if there's, um, if there's something that I say during this message that you agree with and really like, you can toot it, okay? Or if I'm going too long and it, you think it's time to end, you can also toot your horn, okay? <laughs> Trouble is, I won't know the difference. So I may think you're saying it's good, keep going, okay? Um, but welcome to the neighborhood. I'm Jeff Mugford. I'm our associate pastor here, um, and this is what it's all about, um, people coming to that place in their faith journey uh, where they're saying, I'm all in, I have decided, I'm following, this is why we send kids to Winter Blast, this is why we spend all that money getting kids to IYC, this is why we do what we do. Uh, life change. Uh, isn't there something powerful when you hear that word neighborhood or that, that term neighbor? I mean, doesn't it conjure up memories for you? Um, It does for me. I I grew up in Sacramento, California on 49th Street. It was this tight-knit block. We knew everyone on that block and no one moved away. We all knew each other. Howard and Merilis lived across the street when my dad collapsed from an epileptic seizure and I thought that I had killed my dad. uh, They took me in, they took us kids in as they rushed my dad to the hospital and they kept us overnight and uh, neighbors, And then there was Mrs. Wilson next door. She used to give me $2 and she'd send me down to the store to get her a pack of Pall Malls and a loaf of oral wheat bread. And I got to keep the change and it was about 47 cents. So, uh, you know, a a pack of smokes and and a a loaf of bread and and I still had money left over for for that so I could keep that myself. Uh, And it's amazing that they would sell that to an eight year old, you know, crazy. Um, and then there was uh, Randy and Terry, uh, who I'll never forget, they, they, they rushed down to my house and they knocked on the door and said you have to come listen to the new Marvin Gaye 8-track <laughs> called What's Going On, it's going to revol- revolutionize soul music. And it did. The music, not the 8-track. 8-track <laughs> kind of just went, anybody know what an 8-track is? Raise your hand, okay. <laughs> oh man, we are old. Um, but this, this tight-knit community, this, this neighborhood of people that know each other, that's what we're aiming for, both in our neighborhoods and our community, but also here in the church. We're, we're building a, a different kind of, a new kind of, of community where people are connecting and then we're making an impact and making a difference in the world. Over the past few weeks, Mark has been walking us through uh, this passage in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 through uh, 42 through 47. It's this moment when the church is birthed into existence. Uh, They are huddled together because they have to be, because it's dangerous, because they've just watched what happened to their Savior and their Lord as he was drugged away to be crucified. They thought, any moment, this could happen to us also. It's the the pristine picture of the church that we have. They were connected, they were concerned for each other, and they were committed to the community that God was forming within them and within them as a group. But I don't know about you, but when I read those verses, there's this thought that lurks in the shadows for me. Can we really live like that? Is it possible, and if so, how? It's a legitimate question. As we watched that they shared and had everything in common and that they didn't have a concern for their own stuff, they gave their stuff away. It's a legitimate question, it can, can we live like that today? Is it possible? I wanna to read to you uh, that passage again, but I also wanna overlay it and then compare and, comp- and contrast some passages from the book of Hebrews uh, that is uh, about one generation after Acts 2. Uh, At the most, scholars say, uh, two generations later. So let's take a look at this, and let's see if there's any differences from that first Acts 2 church, this pristine version of the church, and just a couple of generations later in the book of Hebrews. And these verses will be up on the screen for us. First of all, we've heard this uh, over the last uh, three weeks or so, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the apostles, as they taught, they had taught straight you know, from what Jesus had taught them. Uh, and now they were teaching uh, these young uh, believers in the church. Uh, but now listen, just a couple of generations later, it says this in Hebrews. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account, obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you. So in that early version, they are just willingly devoted to the apostles' teaching. But now there's this instruction, obey your teachers, so that it'll be a joy to them and not a burden to teach you. Do you see there's a little bit of a, of, of a shift there, a little bit of a difference? Now listen to this, verses 44 and 45 of Acts 2. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone as had need. Now listen to Hebrews 13. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. See, there's a little bit of a shift. Can you see it? Can you hear it in those words? Then Acts 2, back to the pristine version. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hebrews 10, let us not give up meeting together (laughs) as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage each other. Do you see it? The journey from the community depicted in Acts to the community addressed in Hebrews follows an arc of shocking decline. The distance between the two and only one or possibly two generations is startlingly wide. Now understand that in Acts 2, they had just been living in the very light of Christ's resurrection. They had seen him alive again. They watched him be crucified on the cross. They thought that that was it, that that was over. They were going back to their old lives. But then he appears again, alive to them. And so they're living in the light of this powerful event that took place in history. They had seen and touched and talked with and been instructed by the living Christ. And they were buoyed by this irrepressible joy and bolstered by this irresistible courage that they suddenly had. They lived in the overflow of this wild exhilaration. Everything was possible. Everything was brand new. And on top of all this, they had the sense that Jesus would return at any minute swooping down from heaven, making his kingdom the kingdoms of this earth, ushering in the new Jerusalem on the ruins of Rome. What did a brand new Mercedes chariot matter now? (laughs) What value did money and status and stuff and even health have in comparison? And so they threw it all in into a common lot, and they all shared from it. But as time goes on, and Jesus' return is delayed, there had to be a coming back down to earth, right? A digging in for the long haul, right? And that's kind of what we see in the book of Hebrews. It's been a couple generations now, and now they need to, the, this, this church, this growing movement needs to be addressed. And he's saying, let's shift back, let's come back to the center that we once knew. I think it's important. We may never you know, live out those Acts 2 verses quite like they did then, but I think it's important that we take some steps back and get as close to that world as depicted in Acts even when we find ourselves living in the one described in Hebrews. How do we do that? Is there a key? And are there some examples that we can take a look at this morning? I think there are. The first thing that I want us to notice in that first uh, Acts 2 passage is that these folks were linked by a common bond. It says that they had all things in common. There's another apostle also, you know him, he comes along a few uh, chapters after Acts 2. He begins to spread the gospel and establishes churches throughout the Greek and Roman world. His name is Apostle Paul, uh, and I want us to take a look at one of the communities that he founded and formed that was planted uh, in the Greek city of Philippi. Now in uh, chapter one, verse five, I love this verse, because as Paul is reflecting on his relationship with this church and the people in this church, he says this, I thank God for you, for your partnership in the gospel from the very first day. This word partnership is is really critical and crucial as Paul opens up his letter to them and then to us who are reading this uh, hundreds of years later. It's the same word that is often in the New Testament. In fact, most of the time, uh, this word koinonia, Anybody recognize that word? If you've been in the church for a while, koinonia, it's a Greek word. Oh, not many of you. Usually, nine times out of 10, it is uh, translated into the word fellowship. But in this instance, in this case, it's translated into the word partnership. Why? Because Paul wanted to put a different emphasis when he was talking to the Philippians. Uh, It was more than just having something in common with them. More than just having fellowship, it was a partnership that they had experienced, uh, and he uses it in this special way, and it's a, a stronger way, and it indicates active participation in something. In other words, the Philippians didn't just come to share Paul's faith, they came to share in his mission. And that's what sent Paul into this ecstatic utterance when he talked about these folks in this church that he had established and planted and that he loved so much. He said, I thank God for the partnership, this koinonia, beyond just fellowship and sharing in my mission, spreading faith around the world. They weren't just recipients of Paul's ministry, they were participants in his ministry. We know that later, they were the only church that would take up an offering and send it to Paul when he was in need. They were active participants in the ministry that Paul was establishing throughout the world. Now, we all have friends, don't we, that we share some things in common with. Um, I mean, if you uh, like, like baseball, um, which on Friday night, we, we all went to a, the Faith and Family night at, at the Diamondbacks. And, Uh, myself and and, uh, Jeff, he was in the first service. We were the only ones that had our Oakland A's gear on. Uh, I thought we were going to have tomatoes thrown at us. Uh, We didn't have a whole lot in common that night with uh, the rest of the Diamondback fans. And most of the time, I'm a Diamondback fan. But, you know, I grew up an A's fan. And so um, every once in a while, I throw on my A's jersey. And I'm hated uh, at at Chase Field. But um, if you like baseball, if you like listening to the Eagles... um, or Led Zeppelin, or Pink Floyd, or I can go on. Uh, then we have something in common. If you love to read history, if you like to brag on your grandkids, which by the way, mine's smarter than yours, sorry. <laughs> then we have something in common. We, we have something to talk about. There's, there's a friendship there, right? But some of my best friends, my lifelong friends, have been persons that Throughout my life, we have served side by side. We've been in this struggle together uh, to spread the gospel. Uh, We have sat on committees and on teams and creative programming uh, meetings uh, talking about how we can spread the good news, the the gospel. Um, Been on mission together, long van rides together so that we could build homes in Mexico and go down to Rocky Point like we're gonna do in October. These are persons that you discover that there's something a little bit more to that relationship. It's more than just having fellowship with each other, listening to the Eagles or going to a baseball game or talking about your grandkids. It's this partnership that you begin to experience with other believers. We're in this together. In fact, if we're going to be effective, we cannot labor alone. We must be in partnership. We must partner up if we're ever going to make a difference in our community, in our neighborhoods, and in this world. Now, you need to know that Paul had no intention of going to Philippi. In fact, he did not want to go there. He, he didn't think that there would be any good work that would be done there. In fact, if you go to the... Um, 16th chapter of Acts, you can read uh, about this later. But he is actually praying about going to Asia. He wants to go to Asia to spread the gospel. But the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit blocked him. Um, Have you ever had the Holy Spirit block you? Uh, You've prayed for an open door. God, send us here, lead us here. But you you keep getting a a blocked door. Anybody? Or just me? Am I the only one? And so Paul kept experiencing that, and instead, a door opened for him to go to Philippi. And so he goes uh, to Philippi, and as is normally his custom, he looks for a synagogue. That's where he kind of began to establish his work. He'd go to the Jewish synagogue, and he'd begin talking about the Jewish Messiah, this Jesus the Christ. But in Philippi, there was no Jewish synagogue. And so when he got to the city, all he could find was this little woman's prayer meeting. Isn't that beautiful? And Paul goes to that women's prayer, by the way, women, if you haven't signed up for our women's Bible study yet, (laughs) I am the connections pastor, by the way, so I gotta throw that in. You're missing out. Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, we have one Monday night, uh, Women of Hope with Cheryl Presley. You need to jump in, because that's where Power is being found. I think it's the foundation of our church, by the way. So Paul finds this <laughs> women's prayer meeting uh, that is is meeting, and he meets a woman there. She's a leading businesswoman. In fact, it tells us that she's a dealer in purple cloth, which means that she had it going on. She was rich. Her name was Lydia. And Lydia hears this message of Jesus and it immediately tugs at her heart. She says, Paul, Silas, and your team, come on over to our house. Come on over to our house. Not only can you stay there, but you can set up shop there. You can have your base of operations out of my house in the whole city of Philippi. And so Paul got his work established there through that. Now, it doesn't take long for Paul and Silas and the rest of his team to kind of cause a riot. They heal a a slave girl um, who uh, then, uh, because uh, she became a Christian and a follower, uh, it cut off a revenue stream for her owners, um, and it creates this mob and this riot. Paul and Silas are arrested, they're thrown in jail, they're stripped, they're beaten, they're thrown in jail. But when they get to jail, they begin singing they begin singing songs of praise to God. That'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? I don't know if I got thrown into jail, stripped and beaten, that I'd, that'd you know, bring forth song out of me. <laughs> you know? But they're singing, there they are, stripped, naked, beaten, hurting, singing, and an earthquake shakes the jail. And the, the doors of their cells, are shaken loose. When the jailer sees this, he's just assuming that everyone has escaped. And perhaps maybe some of them had, but not Paul and Silas. They are still there. Now the jailer, assuming that everyone had escaped, knowing this would cost him his life, begins to take action to take his own life. Paul and Silas say, don't do it, we're still here. Can't you hear us singing? The jailer, this grizzled, veteran jailer, is so moved by this that he says to them, come to my house. And the very one who inflicted the wounds begins to bind up Paul and Silas's wounds. He feeds them and begins to bring healing to their life. Now, they discovered that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and that everything that had been done to them was illegal. And so the Roman authorities come and they say, Paul and Silas, you can go now. Uh, you know, we were in the wrong. And Paul and Silas say, no, we're not leaving yet until you say I'm sorry. <laughs> I just love that. There's something within me that just kind of goes, yeah. Don't let them off the hook. Listen to this. It says, so they came to the jail and apologized to them. And when Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia, and there they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. These are the first days of faith being born in the city of Philippi. We have the letter today, the book of Philippians, that documents this. Imagine the celebration. Imagine if they had party horns, they would have been blowing. You see, these are some of the things that established their partnership with one another. These moments, these experiences, these things that build upon one another. There's something happening in our youth group, by the way, when all these crazy kids get together for this race on Sunday nights. By the way, I don't come anywhere near here. I was in youth ministry for 25 years, no more. But there's something going on, and these experiences are building upon one another. And then they get them to Winter Blast, and then they take them to IYC and to beach camp, and something happens in their life. They begin this community, this connection, this partnership that's pretty powerful. Now, all we can do as pastors is kind of offer the opportunity up to you. You So when we make these, you know, live love day, you know, come clean a gas station, bathroom. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't n- normally go, oh yeah, hey, sounds like a great way to spend my Saturday. <laughs> but as you say, you know what? I- I'm going to begin connecting with other believers that are doing that. There's this bond that's built and a partnership that is built. And it, it isn't just coming to church anymore. You actually care about the people that are sitting next to you. And you create and we create this community. Whenever we go to Mexico in October or the DR or monthly going to Manahouse House or you, mom when you do that and you sit with those homeless veterans and you feed them a meal and you have conversation with them and it's with other believers from this congregation, it's not just what you're doing for them. It's what's being done in you and in us as a church. It changes us and it changes them. They were linked by common bonds that led them to be, secondly, marked by a radical self-sacrifice. They shared everything they had. They shared with those in need. You know, it says in those verses that people that were looking on were in awe. I wonder if it was because generosity was breaking forth In every which way, the the church erupts in in an extravaganza of giving. So sweeping that it would be foolish if it wasn't spirit-led. People are acting like their stuff isn't theirs. (laughs) I know, it's funny, right? It's a what's mine is yours epidemic. It infects the whole lot. This just might be the greater miracle this might be the critical factor in the churches enjoying the favor of the people and the Lord adding to their numbers daily those that were being saved. They were looking on and they were saying, something's different. Something real is happening here. I shared this once um, a while back. It's, a, um, uh, it's from a book um, called The Rise of Christianity uh, by Rodney Stark. What he talks about is he talks about their, uh, in the first three centuries of the church, as the church was being uh, established, um, it grew by 40%. And Rodney Stark says it's because they loved and served differently. Uh, He cites an example in AD 165, there was an epidemic of smallpox. And what persons were doing, what the normal person was doing, was once one of their family members was infected, they would cast that family member out. They would cast that family member out on the streets. Sometimes it was the elderly. Sometimes it was middle-aged. Oftentimes it was their babies trying to save themselves from this infection. Rodney Stark says it's documented that the Christians acted differently. In fact, when they saw persons that had been abandoned, especially the small children and babies, they would, they would scoop them up off of the street and take them to their homes. Surely infecting themselves. That did not matter. Rodney Stark goes on to conclude that Christians in that culture simply outloved and outserved everyone. And that's why the church spread so quickly in those first few centuries. You know what grabs me about these early believers in this early church? They weren't necessarily casting a vision. They were living a life. The vision had already happened. They had become children of God. This privilege of knowing God. After that, it was enough to be together to learn together, to grow together, to worship alongside each other. It's, it was enough to know that if I had a need and needed something, someone would be there for me to help meet that need, someone would help. This is what every faithful church throughout the centuries should look like, whether or not they have some big hairy goal or not. When we devote ourselves to these things, that Mark's been talking about, and what I'm talking about today. When we devote these things, vision is a natural consequence. We can't help but impact the community. The way ahead is the way back, and the way back is the way ahead. There's a famous speech in Shakespeare's Henry V. It's the night before battle, and as young King Henry prepares to lead the Knights of England, to battle against the far superior forces of France. They are tired and outnumbered and far away from home. And King Henry disguises himself and he begins to move among the ranks of his soldiers. He's inspired by their courage and moved by their loyalty to king and country, even in the face of death. And the next day, he rallies them with this speech. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when this day is named. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed that they were not here. Henry reminds them of the greatness of their cause, the honor that will be theirs. He reminds them of the special bond that will be theirs, having braved this battle together. Those words live on many centuries later because they speak so eloquently of the bond that is formed between people when they are enlisted together in a common cause and they give themselves to radical self-sacrifice. It was this phrase, maybe that you recognize, band of brothers that inspired the late, great historian Stephen Ambrose to write about the World War II soldiers of Easy Company. From their jump training in Georgia to the landing at Normandy, to the Battle of Bastogne, to the defeat of the Nazi regime and Hitler, all the way to the liberation of the death camps. These soldiers, Ambrose says, enjoyed an intensity in their relationship, an intimacy and a camaraderie that we civilians that have never served will never quite understand, will never quite understand what James experienced being a part of this band of brothers in Iraq fighting for us. And yet we can know, we can know a portion of that as believers, as we stand together As we look at each other and say, we have a partnership with each other, this this common bond with each other that's marked by a radical self-sacrifice. What's true of the soldiers on the field of battle is true for us as Christ followers in the service of the King of Kings. Will you join us in this band of brothers, in this circle of sisters, for the greatest cause that the world has ever known? Today as we respond, you might want to just come to the cross and, and write out a prayer. Maybe you just want to say, you know what, I'm in. I'm all in. Uh, I want to be a part of this place. I want to partner up with this church and with these leaders. You may just want to signify that on a piece of paper and and pin it to the cross. Or you may wanna to go to one of the candle stations. Light always represents the presence of God and maybe today you just need to say, you know what, I just need the presence of God in my life in a richer, fuller way. I'm gonna light this candle that signifies that. Would you stand with me and let's pray together before we sing a final song. God, we thank you that you love us at a place where at times we don't feel like we're lovable. (laughs) That you love us from the inside out. And you call us to be a people who link arms and partner up. You never leave us alone. You always place us in a group of people and say, be my church make a difference right where you're at. Thank you for that calling. It gives us dignity and honor as we do that and as we serve you. Help us to do that now. In Jesus' name we pray.